The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one of the only, the looking very Sasquatchy today. In your sweatshirt that I had put on because I'm cold. Great. Now I have to burn it. Which one? Oh, you're wearing my one that says F you on it? The shred till you. Oh, till you're dead. That's even yeah. worse. Now I'm going to have to burn it. Well, going to get your funk all over it. Shut up, bitch. going to get your hooker scent all over it. Yeah. Marking my territory. Now ew, what? <laughs> ew. Ah, it's not enough Lysol. Not enough. Just simply not enough. Not Tammy, enough. the hooker, Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. You need to stop saying that because people are going to start believing you. I'm sorry. Tammy, the male escort, Underwood. She takes coupons. Say hi, Tam. Is that better? No, but hi, everybody. <laughs> You're so mean to me. Oh, I try, I try. All right, so today you gave me the Oakland County child killer. and Oakland already County. I'm already pissed. Yeah. Deals with kids? Fuck this guy. If he's still alive and you can hear this in well, any prison, you fucking piss in his mouth. Technically, still considered unsolved. If you know who it is, piss on him. But, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, anyways, yeah, this is the Oakland County child killer case. Um, between February of 1976 and March of 1977, this unknown killer took the lives of at least four young children and caused fear to spread throughout uh, Oakland County, Michigan. wonder where that is. Oh. No. <laughs> Fuck you and putting the hand up. You either tell me where the hell it is by a, a major city or piss off. <laughs> and that goes for the rest I don't of you from Michigan, too. If you, if you hold up your you hand off. to me and go, I'm from here or up in the Uper, I'm going to look at you like you're mentally retarded. <laughs> I know it pisses you off. That's why I do it. <laughs> so, sadly, the person or people responsible for these murders has never was never caught, and the murders of young innocent victims remain unsolved. I'm going to go through the victims here for you. Okay? Ready? Ready? The first one, Mark Stebbins. Mark and Mike Stebbins spent the morning of February 15th playing pool at the American Legion Hall in the city of Ferndale in Oakland County. At a little after... Oh, that's right. No, I thought you meant Ferndale, Washington. No. Well, no, no. I, I did mean Ferndale, Washington earlier. Okay, that, yeah. I, I just got confused. But no, said because this, I didn't even realize it until you said that, that, uh, yeah, that I had had that conversation with you earlier. No. I asked you where it was because um, Genteel tech messaged me, and she said she was just up there. Oh, Jenny Oshler. Yeah, Oshler. I, I, I call her, her married name is Teal, but I knew her as Jenny Oshler before she got married. So, like when her kids were just really youngins. When her kids is youngins? Yeah, like uh, I've known her for a better part of more than 20 years. Oh, poor woman. Kidding me? She's blessed to be. Able I've to talk only to known me. you for two and a half, and my life is already hell. I can imagine knowing you for twenty. I will probably go to an early grave. God damn it! I'm hoping. <laughs> Shut up. I got life insurance on you. It needs to pay out. Yeah. Anyways, a little after noon that day, twelve noon that day, twelve-year-old Mark told his brother he wanted to go home and watch a movie on TV. So, but Mike decided he was going to stay at the Legion Hall. So Mark went off to walk the three blocks home alone. 
He never made it. By 11 o'clock that night, his mother was worried sick about her son, so she called the police and reported him missing. She described him as four, four foot eight with reddish blonde hair, blue eyes, and weighing about 100 pounds. She also said that he was that day he was wearing blue jeans, a red jumper, and a blue parka coat when he went out that morning. Although a missing child is always worrying to the worrisome to the police, they seem to have high hopes that nothing what you know there was no foul play behind his disappearance. However, four days later, uh, their hopes of having a happy resolution to this missing child were shattered. On February 19, 1976, a guy by the name of Mark uh, Bodigheimer, B-O-E-T-I-G-H-E-I-M-E-R, a businessman in the area, was on his way across a parking lot in Southfield, two miles from the step. Uh, the Stebbins home in Ferndale when he saw what he thought was a mannequin, but he soon realized this is two a, mannequins in a row. You realize that right? the body of a child. Yes, I did just realize that. So the body of the victim was soon identified as 12 year old Mark Stebbins. An autopsy report revealed th- his cause of death was suffocation, possibly with a pillow. There was also evidence that he had been sexually assaulted. Their discoloration at the wrists and ankles uh, indicate that he had been bound at the time he was murdered. Other than that, his body appeared spotless. It was clear the killer had bathed him and thoroughly cleaned him and his clothes before he disposed of the body. I need to interject something. Huh? This just came up in my news feed. Huh? Uh, do you remember uh, Richard Mall? Yeah. From Night Court? He passed away, too? He died at the age of 80. Wow. Yeah, he's best known as the uh, as Bull from Night Court. Yes. But I've seen him in a few horror the movies. The Bumbling like Bailiff. That. Yeah, and uh, he passed away at 80 years old. Oh, Quite wow. sad. Wow. We've um, lost a lot of good ones this year. I know, but n- and none none of the bad ones either. Like, I, I think they like fucking... Carla uh, Homolka is still alive. And so is fucking Justin Bieber. <laughs> um... <laughs> I don't know why he's not dead. Now, have you seen his pictures lately, Justin Bieber? He looks like a guy who's driving a child molester van in the 70s. That's what he looks like. That one that Gino Wright posted the free candy on the side of it? Yeah, that's what he looks like he drives. He <laughs> the looks one like that Jen says, I can't run fast enough, so go slow. <laughs> but yeah, fucking Justin Bieber is still alive. Carla Hamalka is still alive, I which saddens me greatly. But no, we my ex-wife is still alive. And, you know? yeah, my ex-wife from Canada is still alive. That makes me sad. Um, I know. God damn. I know, but we lose people like Bo Cephas and Suzanne Summers and... Richard Mall. Richard Mall. And who more today? More of them. Can't believe it. Yeah, pretty sad. Anyway. Anyway. May continue. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like I said, he was, they thoroughly cleaned him before they disposed of his body. The time of death was harder to narrow down, but it, they did conclude that it had been, he had been dead a short time, uh, meaning that Mark had been held captive for several days before he was murdered. Now, days passed to months, but there was no progress in the hunt for his killer. Then as the summer months passed without further incident, the belief was that Mark's death was just one painful uh, murder, uh, you know, 
was just a painful one-time event became the norm. Life returned to normal for those other than the family, and relief, however, quickly transformed to fear that <coughs> winter. On December 22, 1976, 12-year-old Jill Robinson took part in, in a trivial spat with her mom, as many, you know, preteens do. We all did it. Now, she then packed up some of her clothes into a backpack and stormed out of the house in Royal Oak. Uh, four days later, on Boxing Day, a traveling motorist found her body in Troy, Michigan. Now, the murder of Jill Robinson wasn't linked to that of Mark Stevens right away. Jill died due to because she was shot in the face at close range with a shotgun. She also hadn't been the victim of sexual assault. The final reason was that they were of the opposite sex. A killer usually has a, quote, type, and it's rare to go after both genders. They're, Not for me. They're all in my basement. I know. Because you're, you're just an equal opportunity offender, aren't you? Hold on. Quiet down there. I tell you what, you know, I am a nice person. I feed them every three or four days, and here they are bitching again. I don't like you. There was one significant connection, though. Jill, like Mark, was found in the same clothes she was wearing when she went missing. And like Mark, those clothes had been washed before the body had been dumped. There is a theory as to why Jill was killed with a shotgun. The theory is that the killer believed that he had suffocated her to death. Upon placing her body on the snow, he realized she was still alive. Therefore, he shot her in a panic. Now, the gap between the murders, the two murders, was just over 10 months. But there would, be no, there would not be that significant gap again. On July, January 2nd, 1977, a week after Jill Robinson's body was discovered, another young girl was reported missing. Earlier that day, 10-year-old, 10-year-old Christine Mihalik? Yeah, M-I-H-E-L-I-C-H. Mihalik? I can't know. Anyways. Wow, it's not like you're going to <laughs> vomit. Gonna... Hawking up a loogie over here. Now, she left home to go to a convenience store uh, roughly two blocks away to get a magazine. At 6 p.m., she still hadn't returned home, and her mother, uh, Deborah Ashcroft, filed a missing person report. Now, with the recent murder of Jill Robinson, there was a sense of urgency when they began to investigate Christine's disappearance. A cashier sir, who worked at the store set off... Uh, let's see... Okay, the cashier who worked at the store confirmed that she had been in the store and purchased the magazine. Then, so the officers went door to door in the surrounding area looking for a witness, but nobody came forward saying they had seen her after that point. The search for any other clues as to her whereabouts came up blank. A look at some 4,000 known sex offenders in the Michigan area also turned up nothing. On January 22nd, 1977, everyone's fears became reality uh, when her body was found in the snow, just as Mark's and Jill's had been. She was found in Franklin, Michigan, placed in a ditch on Bruce Lane, not to be confused with Bruce Lee. I was thinking Bruce Wayne. Down oh, the back there page. you go. She was fully. Alfred, we have a problem. <laughs> Whatever. She was. To full- the Batmobile. Are you Come done? on, Robin. To the Batpole. <laughs> I gave your mom the bat pole. I knew that was coming. You know, there are sometimes when something comes out of my mouth and I regret it as soon as I hear it. And that was one of them. But your mom liked the bat pole. Anyway, she dressed up like Catwoman for me. 
anyways, she was fully clothed, just like the other victims. She, too, had been washed clean. The cause of death was suffocation, the same as Mark. Uh, and there was some debate about whether any sexual assault had taken place. There was no clear evidence was detectable of the sexual assault. <laughs> However, it was originally recorded by an autopsy worker that sperm had been found in her vagina and rectum. This was then dismissed by the state police, who stated no sperm was present. Rectum nearly killed them. Oh, my God. Again, the investigation into the Oakland County child killer hit a wall. Police had no leads, no witnesses, and little as far as evidence. Just Then, just two months later, since the discovery of her body, the killer struck again. On March 16, 1977, 11-year-old Timothy King <laughs> left his home in Birmingham, Michigan, to go to the drugstore to buy some candy. A clerk at the store remembered him buying the candy and leaving at approximately 8.30 p.m., but he never made it home. Kids, you don't have to buy candy. We got free candy right here in the van. See, it says <laughs> on the side, free candy. Free candy. Just get inside. Just get in there. Trust me. I mean, trust me. Your parents told me to come pick you up from school. I know I'm a stranger, but forget about stranger danger. You're so dumb. So Timothy's parents actually wrote a letter pleading for their son's safe return, which was printed in the Detroit News. The killer, even though the killer failed to comply with their wishes, and on March 22nd, six days after he disappeared, the body of Timothy King was discovered. He was found on a dirt road in Livonia, Michigan, marking the first time the Oakland child killer ventured outside the Oakland County borders. Now, because Livonia was in Wayne County, this brought more force into the case. Timothy, like all the previous victims, was well-fed and meticulously clean during his days while he was held captive. His final meal was some Kentucky Fried Chicken, indicating the killer had read the letter written by Timothy's parents, which noted that was his favorite meal. Isn't that sad? It's sad, but at least he, you know, kind yeah. of... Yeah. I'm torn. And mm. let, me, let me tell you why I'm torn. <clears throat> On the one hand, it is sad that this that these children were were molested and killed. Okay. Uh-huh. On the other hand, at least this rotten bastard was nice enough to give Timothy his favorite meal as a last meal. Right. So I mean, there shows a little decency, but still, man, you you killed the kid. So right, fucking, exactly. That's just that's that's exactly. jacked, man. Now, the, his cause of death was listed as, according to the autopsy, was suffocation. And it took place hours before his body was discovered. This meant the killer kept Timothy captive for five days, during which time he was sexually assaulted. Um, now, there was a description and a psychological profile. Police at least had something to go on. As several eyewitnesses had come forward, Timothy had been seen speaking to a man driving, oh my God, a blue gremlin in the parking lot of the drugstore. Remember gremlins? Oh my God, that's epic. I mean, I can't fit into one because they're made for somebody much smaller than us. Yeah, well, they're made for people that are around 5'6, five, 5'7, five, 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 somewhere right. maybe 5'9. So you and I are too tall to fit into those. Mm-hmm. But those were freaking awesome. Yeah. And MG, they were made by MG, right? I think so. Yeah. I think or, so. Or was a GMC Gremlin. I can't remember. I can't remember either. Fuck. But I, I mean, but who can forget the gr- the Gremlin scene from Wayne's World? If you're gonna spew, spew in this. Remember? Yes. 
Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't talking to myself over here. Now, they saw him, you know, speaking to a man driving a blue Gremlin in the parking lot of the drugstore. The suspect was described as a stocky built white male with bushy mutton chops and dark shaggy, shaggy hair. Scott! It's me without the shaggy <laughs> hair before I shaved my head. Well, this is back in the 70s, so I'm pretty sure he had shaggy hair back then. Actually, my dad made us all uh, shave our heads. Oh really? Yeah, super short hair. You had like a, like a military high and tight. Yep. Awesome, buzz good. So uh, then, of course, there was a psychological profile, you know, released on this the Oakland County child killer. They stated they believed they were looking for an individual who matched the following description: white male between the age of twenty five and thirty, a compulsion for cleanliness, a professional or worker that children would trust, a. Obviously a resident of Oakland County with above average intelligence and probably with a white collar job. That's me. Above average intelligence. They're talking about me, not you. Uh, bitch, I have an above I average intelligence. I barely taught you how to speak after I got you out of the forest, That's you Sasquatch. Okay. Now, there, there's this mysterious Allen. Shortly after the death the murder of Timothy King, Detroit psychologist Bruce Danto received a letter from a man claiming to have vital information on this case. The author of this letter was known only as Allen, and he claimed to be the roommate of the killer. The killer he named as Frank in the letter was a soldier who had fought in Vietnam. Allen wrote, and I'm going to quote here, I tell you what makes him do it, do it, it's Vietnam. We were... we were we there together, Frank and me. I'm this is like broken English and it's bugging me because I want to correct it, but I'm reading it word for word. Frank and me, oh Frank, not his real name. I call him that here. Nam, screw up your mind too. Tell you something else. He killed lots of little kids, then with medals for it, burn them to death, bomb them with napalm. It's really beautiful there doc he wants the rich people like people in birmingham to suffer like all of us suffer to get nothing back for what we did for our country he's not a monster like you think he really loves children especially that little girl for three weeks not doing it because he hates children but doing it because he hates everybody else out there and this be his way to get even and get back at everybody tell me tell me that who wrote that letter is not black tell me (laughs) yeah oh no you can't can you that's yeah, you're cracking up over there. But that's facts right there. That is a black dude. Only because I'm laughing because it said it right here with he hates everybody else out there, and this be his way. And, and here's I'm not just being racist. Like if you if you read a letter from me and it's I, like ebonics, yeah. And and I wrote in there, hey, look, I'm mad at all y'all, not just y'all, but all y'all. All right, you know you're like, from the south. You're like, oh. He's a fat southern white guy, um, and we could tell because of his, his his diction. And this one, that just be his way, man. And, you know that's you, he, this dude is blacker than black, right? <laughs> yep. So whoever wrote the letter said that he wanted out, but would only help if he was offered immunity. So he told Danto to leave a coded message in the newspaper if he wanted to communicate further. So, of course, Dr. Danto placed the coded message, Weather Bureau says trees to bloom in three weeks, in the newspaper as asked. Danto soon received 
a phone call from the man known as Alan, which police recorded. Now, Alan agreed to reveal the killer's identity with photographic proof. A meeting was agreed between Alan and Bruce Danto at the gas station lounge at 9 p.m. the following evening. However, the guy was a no-show and nobody ever heard from him again. A recording of the phone conversation was placed on the radio in the hopes that the voice of Alan would be recognized, but nobody came forward with his true identity or that of Frank. It's because you can't trust the police, man. They always <laughs> after us black fellas all the time. Man, I'd be out on the street just a walking there. Dang, man, you you black without a permit. And then they'd be beating me and shit, and then we're going to let you off with a, with a warning. Hurry up before the fuzz gets here. Look it down, <laughs> man, before the fuzz gets here. <laughs> so it's still to this day not known whether that is even a true story, you know, that this Allen guy is for real, if it was just a sick hoax trying to, you know, to, like, mislead the investigation. Now, despite spending over $2 million on this investigation and having a task force of over 150 detectives and receiving close to 17,000 tips... They are no nearer to being, the killer is no nearer to being named. By December 1978, the task force had been terminated, put into the hands of state police. To this day, the killer remains unknown. Now, there are other victims that might be linked to the Oakland County child killer. Actually, I know who the killer is. Who is it, Scott? His name is Annie. Annie? Yeah. Annie Anonymous. Oh, my God. <laughs> so stupid. Stupid. Come on, you laughed at that one, <laughs> that motherfucker. One so who's stupid? stupid? The one who makes the joke or the one who laughs at the stupid know. joke, huh? That's right. <laughs> Duh. I guess we're both equally dumb today. <laughs> now, one one uh, one of the uh, blah, 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 other murder victims that could be linked to the, the Oakland County child killer. 16-year-old Donna Sarah went missing after she went hitchhiking to the beach after school on September 29, 1972. On October 20th, 1972, five days later, um, which would have been her thir- her 17th birthday, her body was found in the home in her hometown of Ray Township in Macomb County, it, just off 27 Mile Road, laying face down in a creek. A creek. It appeared Donna had been drugged and held captive for several days before she was murdered. Her cause of death was strangulation. Despite a new tip-off in 1992, her murder still remains unsolved. Then, 13-year-old Jane Allen went missing on August 8, 1976. She was last seen hitchhiking between Pontiac, where her boyfriend lived, and Royal Oak, where she lived in Oakland County. That was my third birthday, August 8, 1976. That was your third birthday. It just dawned on me. Wow. So we know it's not you. You should wipe that soap off of your head then. Because it dawned on you. You're so dumb. I got it. I got (laughs) it. The police didn't seem initially concerned due to her history of running away. Three days later, this opinion uh, was proven, you know, horribly wrong when her body was discovered. She was found floating in a river in Miamisburg, Ohio, over 200 miles away from her Royal Oak home. Her hands were tied behind her back. Decomposition of the body left police unable to determine whether or not she had been sexually assaulted. They believe she was dead before she was dumped in the water and that her death was caused by carbon monoxide poisoning. Police don't believe the murder of Jane Allen 
is technically related to the case because of her cause of death, but she's still linked in there because it's unsolved crime. Then you have 12-year-old Kimberly King. She was at a friend's house in Warren, Michigan, uh, at a sleepover on September 15, 1979. At approximately 11 o'clock that night, she snuck out and went and used a payphone to call her sister. Her sister told Kimberly to go back inside, but she never made it back in, and she was never seen again. Uh, it was initially believed that Kimberly may have been a runaway. However, investigations soon started to believe investigators soon started to believe she was abducted and possibly the victim of foul play. Her disappearance remains unsolved and has constantly been linked to the Oakland County child killer investigation. Then there's ten-year-old uh, Amy Mahaljevic. Went missing from a shopping mall in Bay Village, Ohio, on October 27, 1989. On February 8, 1990, her remains were discovered in Ashland County, Ohio. Amy had been bludgeoned, bludgeoned about the head and had numerous and had numerous stab wounds. Despite the difference in the location and the M.O. and the gap in time from the other murders, some are of the belief that she was murdered by the Oakland County child killer. Then, in the first three weeks of 1976, three teenage girls were murdered in three neighboring counties. They were 16-year-old Judy Farrow uh, in Wayne County, 16-year-old Cynthia Cadu in uh, Macomb County, and then 14-year-old Sheila Schrock in Oakland County. All three victims have at times been mentioned as possible victims of the Oakland County child killer. The problem is that all three cases have technically been solved despite many sites and sources stating that they aren't um judy farrow was found beaten and strangled on june 1st 1976 at lola valley park in redford she had spent the previous night babysitting and when they returned home at 3 a.m they found that she was gone and the phone was ripped from the wall a neighbor of the family uh named gary Oh, my God, I can't even say this name out loud. Pervinkler? <laughs> he's a Pervinkler, all right. <laughs> Soon became... He has that free, that free candy van is what he's got. Right? Good going, Gary. I know. That is like, can you imagine? Soon became the prime suspect. Now, Gary was 19 at the time, and he also disappeared from his home during the same night, having taken a gun and his father's car. Although Judy wasn't shot, a bullet casing was found in the home, of where she was babysitting and his body was found Gary's body was found on April 7th 1976 he had died from his self-inflicted gunshot wound the casing found in the the lot home where she was babysitting was a match to the handgun found beside his body despite doubts from his family the case has been closed then just two weeks after Judy was murdered fellow 16 year old Cynthia Cadu was found was also found murdered. She'd been abducted from the side of the road on January 14, 1976. Her naked body was found early the next morning. She'd been tied up, raped, and beaten to death. Cynthia's mother's often murder, sorry, murder is often linked to the Oakland County child killer and listed as an unsolved case. However, this isn't the case. In 1979, Robert Anglin and Raymond Heinrich were convicted of the murder. An unnamed third man was also involved, but he had died before their arrest and police refused to release his identity. And both men were sentenced to life in prison. Then you have 14 year old Sheila Schrock. 
She was murdered just five days after Cynthia in Birmingham, Oakland County. She had been babysitting her niece for her older sister when someone entered the home and she was beaten, raped, and shot. Despite neighbors witnessing the killer leave the scene, and reportedly one witness who saw the entire attack while shoveling snow off his roof, it would take the police two years to find the man responsible. In January 1979, Oliver Rhodes Andrews confessed and was convicted for the murder of Sheila. Again, I don't understand why it gets mentioned in these cases, but it was, so I mentioned it here. Then we have the suspects and leads that the police received. In 1999, law enforcement took the de- took, decided to exhume the body of David Norberg. Suspicion had fallen on Norberg, who was an auto worker, after he died in a car accident in 1981. After his death, Norberg's wife was going through his stuff when she came across several items. Included in those items were a silver cross, which bore the name Christine, and similar to the one Christine Mihalik owned, and another item was a St. Christopher medal. Timothy King had worn such an item, but it wasn't found with his body. Now, Norberg's wife told of how, how her husband would often tie her up, which led to him being strongly suspected in another murder of Jane Allen. She told how he would rip bits of cloth from a T-shirt and knot them together to make a rope, which he would then use to tie her. The same method had been used on Jane Allen, who was found with her hands tied behind her back. Law enforcement also suspected him in the disappearance of Kimberly King. At the time of her disappearance, Norberg lived just two streets away, and shortly after Kimberly disappeared, he left the area. Police, however, didn't get any breakthrough they were hoping for, and when they compared it, when compared to a hair found on Timothy King, Norberg's DNA didn't match. Despite this, this investigators refused to rule him out completely as they couldn't be certain the hair belonged to Timothy's killer. Even if David Norberg wasn't the Oakland County child killer, he is still believed to be the prime suspect in the murder of Jane Allen and the disappearance of Kimberly King. Now, in 2005, while being questioned, while being questioned about an unrelated murder, prisoner Richard Lawson gave police the name of a man he believed to be the Oakland County child killer, a guy by the name of Ted Lamborghini. Lawson admitted he was part of a group of pedophiles operating in Detroit's Cass Quarter in the 1970s. Amongst his fellow sick associates were two wealthier men named Bob Moore and Ted Lamborghini, who Lawson knew as Ted Orr. Now, Lamborghini and Moore would entice and groom young boys from the financially deprived area with money and food before abusing them at Moore's bike shop or at a nearby motel. Lawson told the interviewing officer Lamborghini would also, on occasion, venture out and attain young boys from wealthier areas such as Birmingham and Royal Oak, and the group would also participate participate in pedophile sex orgies where guests would bring a child to be shared. Now, according to Lawson, on one occasion, Ted Lamborghini had shown him a photo album owned by Bob Moore. The album contained images of various young boys that had been abused, and upon one particular photo, Lamborghini turned to Lawson and told him that the child looked like the king boy and gave Lawson a wink. The investigating officers decided to investigate the claims further. They soon found Bob Moore had already died of cardiac arrest in his home with his own pit bulls indulging in a feast of his remains before he was found. 
Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Yummy. Now, Ted Lamborghini, however, was still very much alive. Upon his arrest and to the surprise of the officers, Ted Lamborghini confessed to much of what Richard Lawson had said. However, despite confessing to being a pedophile, he denied he was also a murderer. Uh, he agreed to take a lie detector test to prove his innocence. Investigators had been here before, and so they again expected another suspect to pass the polygraph test. This time, though, they were wrong. He failed. He was the first, the first to do so in over 300 such texts conducted in relation to this case. Unfortunately, there was nothing else to link Lamborghini to the murders. Over a dozen living victims did testify against him for sexual abuse against children, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Despite being offered a possible plea bargain for information on the Oakland County child killer case, he has refused to cooperate. Since his incarceration, rumors have persisted that Ted Lamborghini has confessed on occasions to other prisoners that he abused all the known victims, but that he was not the one responsible for their murders. Um, and to this day, he still declined to help with the investigation any further. In 2007, the family of Mark Stebbins filed a wrongful death lawsuit against him for $25,000. And the family lawyer was adamant the claim was never about the money, but instead trying to get new information from him. And the case was dismissed in 2008. Then you have Christopher Bush. He became a newly named suspect uh, just by chance in 2006. The King family received a call from a California polygraph examiner and former friend of neighbor Timothy King named Patrick Coffey. Coffey told them he had recently attended a conference where he was involved in a revealing conversation. According to Coffey, Lawrence Wasser, a fellow attendee, informed him that 30 years before he was asked to conduct a polygraph test arranged by an attorney on her own client. The unnamed client had apparently confessed to being the Oakland County child killer, and Wasser later denied the details of such a conversation ever taking place. Though it's interesting, Coffey later gave testimony under oath while, while Wasser failed to do so. The King family contacted investigators about the, with the new information, and months went by until they received a call from an investigator who asked if the family had known anyone with the last name Bush. Further, shut up. <laughs> bush isn't Bush beer. I was thinking Bush like she's got a big bush. Whatever. Back in the 70s, she probably did. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's the 70s. Ooh, mama. You got a big old afro growing out your crotch. You're so dumb. Is it named Shaniqua? You're so dumb. Further research by the family revealed a known pedophile who had been previous who had previously been a suspect back in 1977, and his name was Christopher Bush. Now, Bush was the son of a high-level executive working for General Motors. He was also known to have been repeatedly arrested for his sexual encounters with children. In 1977, Christopher Bush's friend and fellow you know, sick man, Gregory Green, was arrested. During questioning, Green told officers that he and Bush often fantasized about abducting a young boy and keeping them captive. Green then made the starting claim that Christopher Bush had murdered Mark Stebbins. Christopher 
and another associate by the name of Douglas Bennett were arrested on multiple charges of sexual conduct with minors. While Bennett admitted to child molestation offenses, he denied any involvement with the activities of Green and Bush. Gregory Green and Christopher Bush were then interviewed by Michigan State Police, and the pair undertook a polygraph test relating to the Oakland County child killer case. Both men passed and were cleared of involvement on January 28, 1977, two months before the murder of of final known victim Timothy King. Now, Gregory Green was sentenced to life for multiple counts of sexual abuse against children. Christopher, however, despite abusing the same child as Green, was somehow able to get the charges reduced to molesting boys and was given a probation, Um, perhaps because he was from a well-connected family. Less than two years later, Christopher Bush seemingly took his own life on November 20th, 1978. He had, according to his family, killed himself following depression, resulting his ongoing legal troubles. However, there's been question raised about his death. His room supposedly had no signs of blood spatter and no gunshot residue was found on him. Four shell casings were also located in this room. This has led some to speculate that he he was murdered. Some theorizing the murders were committed by more than one individual and Bush was about to confess, so he was shut up. No evidence of this exists, you know, anywhere. It's just speculation. Two other items of interest were also present in this room. One was a blood-stained ligature. And second, a hand-drawn picture of a child seemingly screaming in agony. The boy in the picture closely resembles Mark Stebbins, the first victim. After Christopher's death, no more murders were committed by the Oakland County child killer. It's also interesting that the task force looking into the murders was dispersed on December 15th, less than a month after his death. Then you have James Vincent Gunnels. In 2009, a new task force looking into the murders were able to obtain a new DNA profile from hairs found on the bodies of a first victim and the final victim. A further hair sample was obtained from a hair found on the body of Christine. This new evidence led law enforcement to two new suspects, the first of which was James Vincent Gunnels. In 1977, Gunnels was known to have kept company with two other possible suspects in the case, Christopher Bush and Gregory Green, who were both questioned about the killings. Gunnels himself was only 15 at the time and a victim of sexual abuse by Bush and Green. The evidence which linked James to the Oakland County child case was the hair found on Christine. The evidence was only a mitochondrial DNA match as opposed to a nuclear or autosomal. I think that's how you pronounce it. DNA match. However, thank you. That's not how it's spelled, but okay. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Fuck it. Anyway, however, I'm almost done. Leave me alone. However, it was still seen as a, a good, uh, an exciting development. But when they questioned him, when questioned about this new evidence, he, at the age of 47, denied knowing the victim and was at a loss to explain how his DNA came onto her body. It no- came onto her body. <laughs> that is not how I meant it, but that's how I said it. 
<laughs> Some girls are into that. In, in, in 2000, I'm sorry, in November 2012, Barry King, the father of Timothy King, was sent details of a polygraph test taken by James Gunnels on July 30th of 2009 after a Freedom of Information request. In the test, he was asked three questions in relation to the DNA found on Christine. He was asked if he participated in her killing, if he knew for certain who had killed her, and finally, if he had physical contact with her. He, in, according, in the words of the examiner, he completely failed the test. He wasn't charged in relation to the Oakland County child killer case, and for reasons unknown, he's no longer considered a suspect by law enforcement. He has continued to state publicly his innocence in relations to this case, and those who believe in him, in his involvement, lean more to him being an accomplice to others as opposed to the killer himself. Then there's Arch Sloan. Jesus, there's a ton of fucking people in this. This is the last one, I promise. Christ sakes, are you naming everybody in fucking in, in Michigan? Even the ones up in the Uber. Open the Uber. <laughs> fucking idiots. Now, the second suspect came... The second suspect to come from the new DNA evidence was a convicted pedophile named Arch Sloan. The hair samples found on the clothing of Mark and Timothy were matched to further hair samples taken from a 1966 Pontiac Bonneville belonging to Arch Sloan. Arch had a long history of sickening sexual behavior towards children and was already serving a life in prison term with new ev- when the new evidence was discovered. In October of 1983, a workmate of Sloan's had allowed his 10-year-old son to spend the night with him with the belief they would be going fishing early the next morning. During the stay, Sloan sexually abused and raped the young boy. In 1985, he was convicted for the crime. He'd also previously been a suspect at the time of the murders, And during the investigation into Arch Sloan, he allowed officers to inspect his 1966 Pontiac, which resulted in the hair sample being collected and stored. Although there was a DNA match to the hair found in his car, testing revealed it wasn't a match for Arch. Despite this, this, investigators strongly believed that Sloan was still involved or at least knew the person or persons. Arch Sloan was offered a deal for his cooperation with the investigation, including being released from prison, and he turned it down. Uh, Roughly a decade later, the identity of any individual relating to the hair found in his Pontiac remains unknown. In 2019, there was a documentary released on investigation discovery called Children of the Snow, and new information in there, new information was revealed um, by an investigator named Heather Catalo. She said she had covered the case for over 16 years. And she states that Sloan took a polygraph test during his questioning sometime between 20, two, 2010 and 2012. And like Vince Gunnels and Ted Lamborghini, he failed that test administered by the task force. But again, no real arrest has been made in this case. So what do you think? Do you think any of these suspects were involved? All of them. They're all child molesters. You know what? Forget that life sentence. Pop them all in the fucking head. Oh, I know. I know. Straight oh. up. Fucking hate child molesters. I know. I think I'm leaning more towards Christopher Bush. <laughs> Shut up. Big Bush. And I don't believe he killed himself either. But you know, that's my own. That's only my me. opinion. Probably was. Anyways, but why else would you know they dismantle the task force? Such a short time after this guy was, you know, found dead. 
No, it's true. It's true. But I'm not even going to speculate because they're child molesters to me. They're not. They're not people. That's true. That's true. You know, but but everybody's got human rights. Got not these people. None. Zero. Fuck them. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And you know what? What I found. Not interesting, but sickening is all of these suspects were linked to each other through this child sex ring. Did you notice that? I did. Okay. I didn't know if you picked up on that. Picking up what you're laying down. You ready to wrap this one up? Yeah. All right, boys and girls, remember, send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation and interact with us. This show is copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio. They're lying. Dave and Bastards. And we will see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.